welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. Today, Lauren Falk is hosting the episode, and she is going to be interviewing me and talking through um, some of the key concepts in shoulder instability rehab. Um, if you've been following along, um, you know that I've recently gone through this, so I share my personal perspective having gone through this, as well as um, just some of our overall approaches when we see athletes that are recovering from shoulder dislocations or shoulder surgeries um, from previous instability. Uh, this podcast is really meant to be a great um, follow-up and kind of accompaniment with the podcast that we recorded with Dr. Chris Killian from Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin uh, several weeks ago, where he talks about the medical management and medical side of uh, shoulder instability in terms of imaging and surgery and uh, options surrounding that. So um, these two podcasts should really go uh, very well together to give you guys an overall view of how we approach this injury. I hope you enjoy Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Falk, and today we are interviewing Dr. Michael about shoulder instability rehabilitation. Hopefully you had the opportunity to listen to Dr. Killian's podcast with Michael about the medical side of shoulder instability management, but today we are going to take a deeper dive into the conservative, so non-operative and post-operative physical therapy management for shoulder instability cases. So for those of you who don't know or haven't seen from some of our posts, Dr. Michael actually dislocated his shoulder this summer, so he can speak from direct experience. So taking a look into that, so for those of our listeners who have not experienced a shoulder dislocation, maybe tell them a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, I uh, I don't recommend doing it. Um, that'd be my <laughs> my first suggestion. Um, obviously, usually it's going to happen from some kind of contact. Typically, your arm being away from your body. Uh, in my case, it was a uh, kind of essentially like a slip and fall. Um, and uh, I, you know, initially, honestly, the, right afterwards, the pain wasn't immediately that um, bad, but I could tell something was wrong. I I essentially um, couldn't move my shoulder at all like it was just it's just dangling um kind of stuck yeah yeah and i just had no no active controls um right there so i knew something was wrong it wasn't extremely painful for the first like five or ten minutes but then the uh, pain definitely um, picked up um, my situation is actually out so um, you can kind of have two different types of instability you can have what's called like a subluxation where it uh, your shoulder slides out and then it just kind of immediately slides right back into the socket. Um, or, you know, in my case, it actually dislocated and then it uh, stayed out of the socket for a little while. Um, and about maybe 15, 20 minutes and it was actually as uh, getting getting my shirt off. And in the process of like getting my shirt off, I felt it uh, kind of clunk about three times on the way back in. And, um, honestly the pain went down again, right after it went back in, it was like, all of a sudden my arm felt a lot better. Um, that lasted maybe another 10, 15 minutes before the pain kind of came right back. Um, but that was when I knew it was, was, uh, dislocated, um, kind of once I felt it actually go back in prior to that, I was like, I didn't know if maybe I uh, tore my rotator cuff or I wasn't exactly sure what, what happened. I just knew uh, something was, was distinctly not, not right. Um, at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's interesting. So he was explaining that, you know, he's 
taking his shirt off and that's when his shoulder went back in. So his arm was actually hanging and relaxed when that happened. And that's actually a common position in which the shoulder does go back in. Sometimes it'll go back in on its own and sometimes you actually need physician assistance just kind of depending on your situation and what's going on and stuff. But luckily his body actually kind of worked together to allow it to go back into the joint space. Um, which is obviously a positive anytime you can have that happen. Yeah. And I think, uh, again, I definitely encourage you to listen back to the podcast I recorded with Dr. Killian because um, we talked about that. I was not trying to put my shoulder back in by myself. Uh, like I said, I, I still didn't, honestly, just kind of processing everything. I, I um, wasn't even thinking that it was maybe still sitting out. Um, it just did go back in. But um, definitely something that if your shoulder's out, um, and Chris talks about this in detail, uh, there can be a lot that potentially goes wrong as it goes back in. So um, definitely one that you want to get to a medical yeah. provider that's like skilled and knows what they're doing to uh, get 100%. Uh, this just so happened to work out well enough for him at that moment. Exactly. Um, and it does happen sometimes, but always important, even should it go back in, that you still get checked by a provider uh, following that situation should it happen to go back on its own. Um but anyway, so with that in mind, you actually um, did not have to do surgical management of your shoulder. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. So you don't have to do surgery every time this happens. Talk with us about that. Yeah. So again, uh, really good uh, detail, um, you know, probably about a 30-minute conversation with Dr. Killian surrounding this. Um and it, it ultimately depends on somewhat what your goals are. So if I was going to go back and do contact sports, I, uh, yeah, football or hockey, lacrosse, um, you know, rugby, anything like that, um, I, it probably would have been um, right now the, the literature showing that in those situations, it's, it's likely better to have the dislocation surgically fixed. Um, for long-term outcomes, especially maybe not right immediately down the line, but in terms of, you know, many years down the line, uh, lower incidence of shoulder arthritis and just like better overall shoulder health um, if you end up getting it fixed earlier just so that you have a stable shoulder and, and it doesn't continue to recur over time. Um, you know, in my situation being that I have no desire to play contact sports, it wasn't uh, how it happened. I just really want to be able to play golf and tennis and um, get out on the water and play with my son, those types of things. Um, you know, right now we are still trying to uh, kind of conservatively manage it where I've been able to function reasonably well without having surgery. Um, I haven't had any more episodes of instability at this point. Um, but if you know, in the future, I do start to develop more instability or it slides out again, then, um, you know, Dr. Killian or, or other orthopedic surgeons would likely then recommend getting it um, surgically fixed where they can um, kind of, you know, give you a more stable shoulder joint. Because basically every time your shoulder slides out, there's some level of damage that's done and, and that can scar down and heal and tighten up a little bit. But um, if you knock some of your labrum off or um, the, the, head of your humerus, your arm bone kind of can change shape once it slides out and those things can't be undone. So um, it definitely puts you more at risk um, of it happening again. And uh, uh, yeah. So if a patient opts to do conservative management for probably similar reasons like you did, what's some things that they can expect this process to look like? Yeah. So, um, kind of the way that we explain it to people is that, um, once you don't have those 
as good of passive restraints. So you've kind of, you know, done some level of damage, stretched out the the capsule or the ligaments on the front of your shoulder, typically uh, potentially have done some damage to uh, the labrum that kind of deepens the socket and, and gives some more like passive shoulder stability and restraint. It just makes dynamic uh, strength and control that much more important. Um, and so, uh, it, you know, a lot of the rehab process is going to be about restoring the strength of your shoulder and not only the strength, um, but the uh, rate of force development of the muscles around the shoulder and just like the active control of that shoulder position uh, because it's going to happen. It's just going to be much more important. So um, early on, <clears throat> you know, it's just like many injuries, the first few days, largely trying to control pain, trying to get um, the shoulder overall feeling better. Um, so in a sling for a little while, really not moving the arm much, kind of keeping it pretty close to your side. Um, there's not a huge emphasis the first couple of days on range of motion because in the early phases, we actually kind of want to allow the shoulder to get tight. We want to, um, you know, allow those tissues to heal and scar down. And if we're going to err in a direction in the rehab, we'd rather err on your shoulder actually getting a little bit tight um, so that it has a, a better chance of not sliding out again. Um, so uh, icing and then starting with some shoulder strength stuff in the uh, in terms of like isometrics and just getting some shoulder activation going um, around that shoulder joint in that initial early stages right after after the injury. And then um, long-term, it's just kind of gradually getting the range of motion back. Um, again, being, you know, kind of cautious with it, erring on the side of staying a little bit tight um, and getting back into those activities. So uh, for me, it was progressing back gradually into like upper body weightlifting um, type movements, which is still not um, full, but kind of going through uh, dumbbell rolling progressions, push-up progressions. Um, still, I'm still not able to really lift all the way overhead. Um, right now, my shoulders is, is I've done a good job on the tight aspect. My shoulder is a little bit tight, and I don't quite have full range of motion overhead. Um, but you know, working on getting back into those those kind of controlled strength movements and and just getting that shoulder moving. Doing a lot of uh, rotator cuff strengthening, and I'm doing a lot of uh, just kind of strengthening exercises now working on how my arm feels when it's away from my body so initially the first few weeks like everything was very close with my arms right next to me and now i'm really starting to work on um, some strength and stability and control on the kind of with my arm away from my body which is just like a more vulnerable position for your shoulder and just building that that tolerance and comfort up and then at the end, before you get back into doing anything athletic, um, it's really getting that that timing and that speed of contraction of those muscles back through uh, some type of uh, plyometric progression, throwing medicine balls. Um, there's just other things that you can do that are higher speed that um, it's great to have, you know, strength in uh, over a longer period of time to be able to develop max force over five seconds or whatever. But when you're playing sports and doing things active, it's not about how much force you can produce over five seconds, but like how much force can you produce right now and how well those muscles function together to keep that ball of your shoulder centered right on that socket and not really sliding around. So um, that's sort of the rough layout 
if it's a contact athlete that's going to go back to uh, contact sport, like we definitely want to see them go through a contact progression with their shoulder. I think that's something that historically we've seen missed a lot with um, kind of shoulder stability cases where um, if you're a hockey player or football player, like you've got to be confident and prepared for your shoulder to absorb force. So you're going to go back and get hit. You're going to fall on it. It's literally like part of the job description for players in those sports. And so we need to go through something like that in PT and rehab to both um, kind of test it in controlled environments and see how the, the shoulder handles it, but also to kind of prepare those tissues and bones and, and muscles to uh, manage those forces and be able to control um, your body position as you're going through those things. So um, that's sort of a, a 10,000 foot view over if you're going to go down the conservative path, um, you know, what, what does that process roughly, roughly look like? Well, I think what was so interesting because I was obviously on the outside watching this process occur that, um, you know, in the be in the beginning, so like a few weeks out when you were very tight and very limited, you'd wake up in the morning and you could barely get your arm to like 90 degrees. But what was truly impressive, and I hope that people listening can appreciate this, is you know, literally doing not even 10 minutes of your shoulder exercises, and your arm was all the way back up overhead. So that power of what exercise was doing for you to help reduce your discomfort that you had in the morning and then kind of getting act everything actively engaged and working together had like drastic effects on your immediate range of motion in those early phases. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I still um, feel that like I'm doing a lot better, but um, I can definitely tell if I slack on doing my shoulder exercises for a few days in a row, um, I it, it really will start aching a little bit more. I, again, I've been lucky. I haven't had more um, like any instability so far. I've been trying to be pretty smart with what I do, um, but I, I can just tell a difference. And it's just been eye opening for me that, yeah, I could ice it. I could do some other stuff. I could take a Tylenol or an, uh, a leave or something, but what has really helped me is actually to go do a few sets of my shoulder, um, like rehab routine. Um, if I don't have time to do the full, full exercise program, just I'll do small parts of it. And just the act of going through those um, exercises has really helped with some of the pain control and just telling me feel, feel better overall. Now for in our clinic and how we manage shoulder rehabilitation, both non-operative and post-operative, we often use dynamometry. So a tool to help measure strength. Um, and we use this in a variety of ways, but that was one thing that Michael actually immediately started doing was tracking his strength in a couple of like important directions, mostly external rotation, because it was an exercise that you could do to help reduce your pain as well. But it's very interesting watching your pain, your strength progressions, because I think you started at like an incredibly yep. low percentage of your strengths. You you measured your non-involved side, so the healthy side, and then you measured your injured side. And I think you started at like 10% of your strength. It was, it was, it was, it was only a couple yeah. pounds of force, right? Yeah, I think I pushed out with like one and a half pounds. And but then you kept painful. tracking it over even the course of the first couple of weeks and watching that incremental change of your strength that also correlated with how well you were feeling also gave us the confidence to make decisions for what exercises were appropriate for you to do at the time, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, just, I think, monitoring progress and having something other than like 
hopes and feelings um, to make decisions off of, of like, yeah, I hope this is going to be fine or I feel like uh, this is going to be safe. But like having some objective data um, to put behind the things that you're doing and be able to say like, yeah, we've improved by 25% this week or we've improved by 50% over the last three weeks, whatever the case may be, um, can be really useful and kind of ground some of your decision-making and actual facts and not just like time, like, oh yeah, it's been three weeks. You should be able to do this. And it's like, well, three weeks doesn't really tell us anything. Like what if the person was three weeks out, but they literally hadn't done any exercise, right? Like, are they going to be at the same point as someone that's three weeks out, but has been diligent on doing their home program seven days a week? Um, maybe, maybe not. Like the important thing is to ask that question, be able to, you know, objectively identify like, oh yeah, you're, at this level of strength, like this makes sense as a next progression to go try. One, for those of you who know or have heard Dr. Michael talk about it, he's a very avid golfer. So it's really important for him to at least slowly integrate some of those things during this process. Just because he's hurt, it didn't mean that he was kind of shut down forever. And so by actually using tracking your range of motion and tracking your strength progress, you were able to talk with Dr. Chris about you know, saying, hey, this is fair that, you know, I have range motion above 90 degrees and my strength is at X percentage, you know, I can at least start some like low moving, like putting, chipping. So oddly enough, like, I mean, 10 days, two weeks out, you were actually doing some small motions. And I think people who small sports specific motions for you. And I think sometimes people think I've had this massive injury. I'm not going to be able to touch my sport for the next eight to 12 weeks, no matter what. And here in a very short period of time with smart decision-making tools, you were able to actually do some of those things, which I think is important for people to hear that there are things that happen throughout this process. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of like I'd sort of describe it as um, testing things and like ways that you're safe to fail or, um, you know, as you're going back into some of this stuff, I mean, yeah, I could, I was doing some drill work and like, okay, I think I can move a club. Um, but I didn't just go grab driver and, and take a full swing. Like I kind of started with, like you said, putting and then just a little chipping. And then, um, once that was feeling okay, then started hitting some half wedge shots and it's like, okay, maybe now I could take a little bit more of a full swing. Like, oh no, that still hurts. Yeah, that hurts. But I, I like crept up on it enough where, I was able to just like feel a little discomfort, listen to the feedback from my body and be able to be like, oh, not ready for that yet yeah. versus um, trying something that's um, super risky where you're sort of setting yourself up for a setback. And um, that's kind of through this whole conservative rehab process. That's a big part of what we're doing. Like, yes, we are preparing the tissues. Yes, we're strengthening the tissues. We're working on power development. You're we're doing all this stuff. Yeah. But we're also trying to set up scenarios that the athletes are like sort of safe to fail so how did i know i was ready to fully do a push-up well i started by doing a push-up on the wall and then i did a push-up on our kitchen counter and then i did a push-up to a, a bench level height and then i just did some plank holds with my hands on the ground i didn't try to do a push-up but like weight bearing felt okay like okay doing all these things like now let me see if i am ready for that next thing and so that's really a lot of what the rehab process is like is is setting up those, I mean, kind of quote unquote safe to fail environments um, for 
for people to try out and, and be able to do. Um, so what are maybe some realistic expectations for an end result for someone who goes through conservative management? Yeah, I think that's a good uh, question. And, and it is kind of interesting because um, like conservative management isn't a one-way street. So uh, sometimes like for me, I'm hoping this is all that I ever have to do. And yeah, I, I am realistic that there's probably certain things that I'm just not going to do anymore after this if I don't get it fixed. And um, I probably will have to uh, continue with some like regular shoulder maintenance or else I'm going to be more at risk of this happening again. And um, that's something that I'm uh, comfortable with that with right now and going to try to work hard at. So uh, for me, like this isn't going to be a stopping point, but for some athletes, um, you know, the, the conservative management might just be something that we do to get through a season where then, you know, maybe they, they're able to compete and get back and, and play a little bit. And then they're going to get it fixed in the off season or over the winter, whatever the case may be. Um, and so it somewhat depends on like kind of what's your end goal. And sometimes conservative management is it like that. We're going to get you back. Um, we're going to know that maybe you're a little bit tight. Um, we're going to know that yeah, contact sports are going to be high risk for you. Uh, for me, like I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'm going to get full shoulder overhead motion away, like my days of doing like strict overhead barbell, pressing might be behind me like i might be more of a landmine press or doing stuff with kettlebells like i might have to find some alternatives and things that i do um, but i'm i'm comfortable with that if i can play golf if i can get out on the lake if i can play tennis if i can do the thing play with my son um, it's my non-throwing shoulder so that um, actually works out well and hopefully this is just where it ends for me um, but certain people might just use this as like a temporary like yeah if i can just get through or through this season or if I can get to through this date or whatever the case may be, um, then I'll look at maybe getting it fixed in the long run. Um, and that can also be a really good option from there. Um, for our contact athletes that do do this where they're coming back from conservative management, typically if they go back to a sport, um, again, whether it's just getting through the end of the season, we're going to have them wearing some type of harness for some external support uh, to kind of I kind of describe it as like a little seatbelt almost like trying to keep them out of dangerous end positions, trying to give them a little extra passive check restraint. Reins. Yeah. Little check reins to um, a little, sometimes just a reminder, like don't put your shoulder up in that position. Um, and, you know, so they might have to play or finish the year wearing that specific harness for a little while. Um, but overall people can do pretty well. It's just um, kind of in that podcast with Dr. Killian, um, you know, what's coming out in the literature is, is down the line, the, the effect of having multiple, uh, future dislocations really, um, inhibits like your long-term outcomes. And so it's not that you can't do well and be pain-free and function with conservative management. It's more, if you play a high risk sport where you're very likely to dislocate again, that has some negative consequences. So it's sort of playing the odds that um, getting it fixed decreases the risk of future dislocations. Gotcha. So if you do elect, or I guess sometimes you don't have the option to quote elect, it's going to happen, <laughs> have surgical management for your unstable shoulder. Um, what does that post-operative management look like then in comparison to this? Yeah, honestly, the the overall um, process is going to look very similar. The timeframes are just going to be different, um, where it's going to be much slower. And the difference is with the conservative management, we have nothing to protect. There's no 
repair that was done. There's no sutures in your shoulder that we need to watch out for. Like the damage was already done. So we're really just trying to allow healing to occur and make sure that we're being smart and not setting you up to like re-dislocate right off the bat. Um, but we're not having to be cautious of, um, you know, a repair that was done. Whereas once the uh, procedure was done, and, and again, there, um, Dr. Killian in his podcast walks through some of the like more common types of surgical procedures that might be done. But if you had a bank card repair, um, there's you know going to be actual sutures and and uh, I don't want to say hardware. That's not the, not the right word. But there's going to be um, work that was done. In work the- that was done that we need to be respect. conscious of and respect so that we don't push into things that then you know rip out those sutures or affect the anchors and now we've basically undone the surgery by being too aggressive early in rehab yeah there's tissue healing times and surgical site healing times that we have to respect in that early onset of the rehab yep exactly so um so it'll depend on the exact procedure but it's just going to be the same process but slower so initially um, in a sling for a while, some range of motion limitations and restrictions. Um, often we might be able to start with some isometric shoulder things early on, uh, but we're just going to be much more limited for the first, again, depends on the um, procedure, but four, six, eight weeks. Um, and then from there, we'll work on getting motion back maybe full motion, maybe again, purposely leaving uh, people just a little bit tight as that extra, um, we'd rather err on the side of you being tighter than looser so that you don't dislocate again. That's the whole point. And then restoring the strength around that shoulder, kind of getting you back to -to day-to-day activities and just being comfortable with that, doing basic things in the gym. And then again, that late stage, really focusing on coordination of um, stabilizing the shoulder, getting the muscles to work together, uh, really rate of force development, like being able to get the muscles to fire quickly and then working through um, those, I think those contact progressions are the ones that uh, are especially very important in those late phases where we're getting the arm used to hitting the ground, having to uh, produce like a breaking force to um, to control body weight and manage uh, hitting, getting hit or hitting other people. Um, if you're in a sport like football, um, getting used to grappling again, like kind of effectively wrestling and pushing and pulling, um, doing those types of things to really make sure that the shoulder is ready for the demands of going back to your sport and whatever that might uh, be and might look like. So from the ways that we manage shoulder rehabs here, what are some of the checkpoints that we keep in mind or like, how do you know that someone's ready to get back to sport? We say it's not about time. So then how do we know? Yeah. So big one is going to be the strength measurements um, and kind of comparing uh, to your uninvolved arm. And we would like to see um, the involved injured shoulder eventually have at least 90% of the strength as that uninvolved arm is like a bare minimum. If we can beat that even better. Um, And We'll test that in several different positions. So initially, we'll test very close to your body, like kind of, again, that very controlled, stable shoulder position um, and get make sure we get full strength and rate of force development back there. And then 
we will repeat that same testing in some other positions with the arm out away from your body. So uh, maybe pulling forward with your arm on the side, pushing backwards with your arm at the side, um, up in like a throwing tight position, kind of a 90-90 position, um, checking the rotator cuff there and looking at all those differences. So making sure that we've got kind of that 90% of the strength and rate of force development back. Um, and then we like doing some the best way to kind of track contact progressions is uh, in lower body, we look at jumping a lot to see how athletes produce uh, breaking and propulsive forces uh, through a vertical jump. And that gives us really good insight into how much they're favoring one side versus the other. We can apply that same those same principles to a plyometric push-up. And so um, we will actually have athletes do um, essentially like jumping push-ups for lack of a better uh, term to describe it on the force plates. And that is a really good way for us to be able to quantify and measure how well are they uh, managing impact, how much are they favoring one side versus the other, and how are they doing producing uh, breaking and propulsive forces through that upper body as as closely simulated to falling on the ground or hitting another human um, that we might be able to do just to make sure that that's all um, really good. And then after that, it's kind of sport specific. So again, if they're going back to that contact sport, um, how does their shoulder handle those impact progressions? How, um, you know, how coordinated, how sore do they get? Um, how stable do they look? How, how stable do they feel? Like, are they reporting feeling instability doing those things? Um, so not everything that we do has to be perfectly like mathematically quantified. There can still be a subjective element to, um, are you able to fall on your arm and like catch yourself? Or are you able to, uh, like for a, a football player, or hockey player, something like that, um, you know, when you reach your, yeah, when you reach your arm out to the side, are you able to like create force and, and stabilize? Like if you were going to make a tackle, um, those can be really good. Um, the other thing that we've done in the past has been um, using like med ball throw variations. So kind of doing some single arm med ball chest passes or like shot put type motions um, and comparing how far can you throw like a two or four pound ball um, with one arm versus the other and just measuring that for distance. That's another good way to a uh, little less technology involved, a little simpler to do on your own. Um, just measure distance and how far could you throw a ball to give you that insight into like, how's the power development going okay. through the, uh, through the, the functional arc. translation of what you've been working on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I just think that return to sport process needs to be, a, uh, you need to have some objective data and measurements to combine with the kind of subjective uh, progressions through rehab and again, testing it out in those safe to fail ways. Um, if you don't have that objective data, then you're, you're, you just might be missing something. I just think you're taking a really big risk if you don't actually know how um, the way that we describe it as, as I teach this to students is like the measuring force, measuring on the force plates, looking at strength. It gives us an idea of like the underlying capacity, like how, how strong, how powerful, what's the capacity of those muscles and the, the joint itself um, to produce and, and, you know, control force versus when you just look at the function, um, someone, athletes are really good compensators and sometimes they're able to, to make something look really make good, something look really good <laughs> yeah. but they're sort of hiding this underlying deficit still. And that's just what we just don't want to send someone else that, or someone back out on the field that's ill-prepared. So, um, that's sort of our 
rough progression. And then ultimately it's again, setting up that return to play and return to practice scenario in safe to fail ways. So, you know, if you're a football player, the first day you go back to practice, um, maybe don't go do full contact, um, tackling in live scrimmage action. Like maybe we should go do a jog through with only a helmet and no pads Yeah, or technique work with a partner or a coach or that again, that graded exposure, just like you said with your golf, like we putted, we chipped, we did this, we did that. Same thing has to happen with returning to your sport. When your doctor says, Hey, you're cleared. That doesn't mean we throw on every pad and just have at it, even though I'm sure you're dying to, you know, it's about having that guidance for that proper progression back to those live scenarios because live scenarios we can't control. Right. Uh, And that's the last thing you want to do is jump right into a full on live scenario, but get that proper guidance, dipping your toe into the water and progressing deeper and deeper until you are sure everyone is sure you are ready for that intensity of what your sport demands of you. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, um, I mean, we can say that for every, every shoulder injury or every injury in general, but especially, um, with this, I just think it's, um, something that really, really makes, makes sense. And is super important because we just can't, we mimic a lot of stuff in PT, but we cannot perfectly mimic the intensities and demands of, of practice and and what people are going to see out there. And looking at practice as a tool to return back to your sport. It's a different lens, but really, if you look at it that way, you feel differently about it as you get to start to do it. I hope that just by listening to this stuff and hearing about what these rehab progressions look like, but also hearing about what that end part of the continuum looks like and expectations to have and making sure that you are being checked and assessed helps you be a better consumer of your health. If this is someone that, if you are someone that's going through this, that just gives you a mental picture of things that you can ask or engage about as you're going through your care. Um, Because these are things that should be happening to get you safely back to what you enjoy doing. So that being said, I mean, this is all incredibly helpful, even as a provider to take that reminder of what this process is really supposed to look like. So kind of looking back on your experience outside of wishing that you hadn't dislocated your shoulder, uh, what are some, maybe some simple lessons that you've learned from this experience or maybe some advice that you might share with others? Yeah, I think the interesting thing, um, I definitely learned a lot going through it. Um, The things that are going to stand out to me is something that we preach a lot, but really going through it is how much exercise can be a pain reliever. Um, it's honestly worked better than anything else that I've done, um, to help control pain. I really, my shoulder really does get more sore if I skip a few days or or kind of fall off on my typical routine. Um, so just learning from that to like, maybe not just first reach for ice or the Advil or Tylenol, but to, Hey, I'm a little bit sore. Let me go do this routine that I know has previously helped me. Let me see how that feels. And maybe I don't need to um, rely on some of those other things. That's been really eye-opening to me. And again, it's something we preach a lot, but uh, living, it. <laughs> living it has has really, really reinforced that for me as a, as a real thing. I think the second thing that's been really interesting with where I'm at right now is, um, you know, it's really hard to not ride the wave. And we talk about this with, with patients too. Um, like for example, yesterday, um, I played a little bit of golf and I've been able to play and had no pain. And for whatever reason, um, my shoulder honestly really hurt yesterday swinging a club for the first time in several weeks. Um, and 
I, I don't know why. It's not like I had a setback. Um, I was still able to go do it, but it was the first time in a while that I was like, man, every time I took the club back, I like really kind of felt um, like some pain. And it's definitely frustrating, but having the perspective to not just ride the kind of the ebbs and flows, like I didn't throw in the towels, like, oh, everything is is messed up and it's going to hurt now and everything failed. Like I didn't let myself go there. It was like, cool, I had a bad day. You know what? I'm going to go jump back on my shoulder routine tomorrow and I bet it'll feel better by Thursday. And I'm just trying to look big picture. Like the last three weeks has been tremendously better than the three weeks before that. Um, and yes, it would be easy to pick one individual day or two that have been worse, but um, not focusing on those. So that part has been really interesting. And then probably the last part, and I think it's something that's interesting, is right now, like the discomfort that I'm having, I'm honestly pretty sure is not related to the actual like structural injuries to my shoulder. But I think it's um, it's more like I'm having some pain in other places because my shoulder's still a little bit weak and I'm doing some new things. I'm like continually trying to push forward and challenge myself again in that safe way. And so I'm actually getting just some I don't want to say it's unrelated pain, but it's like I'm getting some shoulder impingement symptoms uh, more recently versus like I'm not getting instability. And so it can just be interesting going through this rehab process. Um, and sometimes we'll see this with with new patients that come in where it's like I had this injury three years ago and now this other spot's hurting. And it's like, well, it's not actually the spot that you injured. It's just now that you're having this other pain because you still have some residual weakness or you haven't fully recovered yet. Um, and so I'm experiencing that a little bit where, you know, the actual injured location isn't really bothering me that much. Like what it used to be, I'm not getting any instability. Um, I'm just getting some of these other kind of annoying little aches and pains that, uh, I wish would go away. Um, but that has been kind of interesting to experience firsthand as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's just a nice reminder that no one's return from injury is ever perfectly linear and it just, everything goes perfect every step of the way, no matter what, it's always a process. Um, and having that perspective is always good. So, um, thank you for sharing your personal experience. Um, it's always helpful just to kind of get an insider's view from living it. Uh, I think personally, cause I haven't dislocated my shoulder. So it's been interesting to watch. Um, but I hope for our listeners that this was really helpful for you to gain, you know, perspective of what you might need to expect about care that you might be undergoing or just better appreciating an injury like this from hearing what Dr. Michael's experience was like. So thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you found this helpful um, to get this opportunity to listen to these things. And uh, we hope you join us again soon for another podcast. All right. Thanks. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Are you a golfer that wants to try to gain club head speed and prevent injuries? One of the easiest things you can do is do an active warm up before you start hitting golf balls or playing your round. This has been shown in the research to help improve club head speed as well as reduce your risk of both acute and overuse injuries while playing golf. If you're interested in learning more, we have a free golf active warm up that you can download if you check out the link in the show notes for this episode. Head over there, download it, and let us know if it helps you hit it farther and feel better while you play.